Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode that is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. And it's time to move forward, Frank. I know I was waiting to see when the parade was going to be through Milwaukee in the last two days for the big Game 7 win, but unfortunately, that was only the end of the second round. And now we have an Eastern Conference Finals matchup that I could not have believed would be possible at the start of the postseason. The Hawks going to Philly. Oh, man, it's never going to get old watching the Philadelphia 76ers lose game to basketball, and they lost one on their home floor in Game 7 to the Hawks, who have been really impressive so far in the postseason. A super talented young team that is seemingly on the rise, but the Bucks have somehow managed to have home court for the Eastern Conference Finals in Game 1. Before we dive into it, Frank, I have to say, it's been an absolute fair dinkum potapalooza on the Locked On Bucks feed right now. You'll have the post-game with me and you, Frank, from Game 7. We did a live green room podcast with Justin Garcia. I've just finished, which will be in your podcast feed as you are listening to this, the podcast with Brad Rowland with a full preview from Locked On Hawks. Now we've got this podcast, Frank, and then Marcus Johnson tomorrow, all before game one. So I've seen a lot of complaints about the national narrative being all about the Nets. We all knew that was coming, but there's plenty of stuff on the Locked On Bucks podcast feed uh, to keep you guys busy until game one on Wednesday nights. But Frank, Bucks and Hawks, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think that the, the thing that made me the most pessimistic um, heading into the playoffs, because, you know, I think I've said this a few times that I was at once both feeling like, hey, this is probably the, the best constructed team from a playoff perspective that the Bucks have had. I don't think this necessarily was the overall most talented team. I think you can make a good case that that was actually the 2019 team that had, you know, Brogdon as well as uh, Miritich, which of course now feels kind of funny because Miritich, you know, ended up getting benched in the Raptors series. But um, but just as far as like top to bottom talent, you could say that it might have been the most talented team. But as far as just, you know, having the top end talent, which obviously we've come to, you know, know and which we saw in that series is so crucial, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, you can play six and a half guys um, and win a seven-game playoff series against Kevin Durant and, you know, a few of his best friends. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, it, it's it's just sort of interesting to, 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 to look back on, on kind of all of that. And um, I don't know, I think, we, I think we were both talking before the podcast about how we rewatched um, – like the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. And it was interesting to kind of rewatch and get with, with like a little bit of critical distance when we weren't, you know, just emotionally so um, tied up and everything that was happening play by play. Uh, so that was just kind of fun to be able to to look at it in, in a little bit different way. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like the bucks were, were more talented than they have been in, in the ways that mattered. Um, but at the same time, it also felt like I, I just had this feeling of like, well, you picked the wrong year, guys, because, <laughs> you know, you finished third in the regular season, which there were some reasonable reasons for that. But the flip side is you, you know, allowed basically Philly to to take the top spot. You allowed Brooklyn, even with missing so many of their guys uh, throughout the year, to take number two. And as a result, you're going to have to go through the super team in round two without home court advantage 
And then if you have the ability to, to hopefully beat them, you're going to have to go through Philly without home court advantage as well. And so, um, of course, you know, now the, in many ways, the scariest part of all this now about where the Bucks are is that, holy crap, you know, the seas have parted in, in many respects. And that obviously we saw a, a, a less than full strength Nets team that the Bucks fortunately were able to overcome. And um, with the Hawks, I mean, again, not to disrespect the Hawks, but, you know, this, this is the first time this team has obviously been in a position to do damage in the playoffs, period, let alone make a run to the East Finals. And so, you know, Bucks will be provisional favorites, even though I think the Hawks are just by definition a team that probably a lot of us are going to underestimate just because everything about them feels so new. I mean, literally they had switched coaches in, in season. So, um, you know, we just weren't prepared for them to obviously be in this spot, but they deserve a lot of credit. You know, they obviously, I mean, as much as people are, are going to, you know, crap on, on Philly and say how bad Philly was, um, that was still a talented Philly team. And Joel Embiid, even with the knee injury, hmm. was a monster for most of that series. <laughs> and, you know, they have a lot of talent. I mean, they got huge games from Seth Curry late in that series. Um, you know, Tobias Harris obviously had some very down games, uh, but he's obviously still a quality player. And I guess I can't really say much positive about Ben Simmons, which, Kane, I know you as an Australian working in the Australian side of the, you know, side of the NBA world has, you've had to talk a lot about Ben Simmons today for other, <laughs> other reasons. Um, but I, I don't think there was anything trivial about beating, beating Philly in seven games. And, you know, you think about young teams and um, I, you kind of like, you might be tend to think of them as like, well, you know, they're going to feed off their home energy and, you know, they're going to, they're going to win at home and then they're going to be shaky on the road or, you know, whatever. Not the Hawks. <laughs> I mean, you know, going back to game one against the Knicks, Trey Young goes in the first playoff game of his career, shows out, has this terrific performance at MSG. Uh, I, th- I guess they were, what, uh, two and one, I, I guess, in, um, in uh, New York in round mm-hmm. one. And they end up winning three times out of four <laughs> games in Philadelphia, which Philly has been a fortress the last two years. I thought I heard some number that they were like, 60 and nine or something like that at home over the last two years. So to, to beat them three out of four times, I, you know, I don't care how dysfunctional the Sixers were. Philly was a good team this year. I mean, you know, it's not like they like kind of slacked off all year and kind of dragged, dragged ass into the playoffs. I mean, they were the number one seed in the East this year. Joel Embiid missed a lot of time and that team still won a lot of games. Um, and so I think they deserve a ton of credit for just, shaking off anything that came their way. They were losing in the fourth quarter. Trey Young was having, he had the, the Drew Holiday shooting game. They were both right. five for 23 in game seven, but Trey made um, a huge three late in that game. Um, obviously we talked about Drew hitting three big shots late in the Nets game seven. So I, I, I think they're just a really interesting team. And, you know, I think they're, they're going to, it's a fun, it's going to be fun for us to talk about it here a little bit, how different they are than the Nets. And um, I think obviously there's some ways that that is very good. And then there's some ways that they're going to create some unique challenges just because they obviously have um, a bit more scoring depth and, um, you know, versatility than, than say Brooklyn did, which, you know, obviously we, we knew sort of by middle point of that series that, that they were going to be, you know, Kevin Durant in a cloud of dust more or less. So very different type of challenge, but I think we can also look at some ways in which, um, going against the Nets was was hopefully instructive to to helping the Bucks do some things that, that will hopefully serve them well here in this next series. All right, it's time now for the Locked On Bucks version of the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And there can only be one man. Chris Middleton, listen, he had some big performances, but Giannis delivered a Game 7 performance for the ages. Arguably the best performance in franchise history, 40 points, 13 rebounds. The game tying hook shot in overtime when the Bucks could not get a bucket to save themselves. So Giannis is the Michelob Ultra player of the week. Remember, with Michelob Ultra, it's only worth it if you enjoy it at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. And there was plenty of enjoyment in the Bucks locker room after that game seven win. Giannis is the Michelob Ultra player of the week. And now I want to talk about our friends over at Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. 
and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Credit, uh, Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back into your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for a free start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and items apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. I'm glad you set it up this way, Frank, in terms of uh, paying some credit to the Hawks because certainly uh, we spoke about pressure. It was a big theme heading into the series against Miami and I had really pushed back against the idea that the Bucs were coming in with less pressure. I just felt that this was a huge, big-time postseason for the Bucs, but now it's clearly swung because of that matchup. The Bucs will go in red-hot favorites. But I don't think that you should come into this series. I mean, you certainly should think the Bucs should win. I think that's a fair stance to have. But I don't think you should come in thinking that this is going to be easy for the reason that you pointed to. This Atlanta team doesn't seem to give a crap about playing on the road or playing under pressure. Similar to the Bucs, they had every opportunity to, to fold in that game seven. Uh, they didn't do so on the road and they moved through. But let's start to talk about some of the players, some of the matchups here. Um, and this will be primarily from a Bucks point of view. Like I said, uh, I tried to dig in and get as much info as I could from Brad Rowland over at Locked on Hawks so you can check out the Hawks side of things. But as we look at this Hawks team, it's really difficult to take anything from the regular season matchups with these teams. Now, I went back and watched the third game, um, particularly the fourth quarter, where the Bucks went down under a barrage of threes. But even that game, Trey Young didn't play. The game that the Hawks won, Trey Young did not play. Uh, I think you mentioned before we started here that John Collins uh, missed it, at least two of the three games that they played. So the personnel has just changed significantly uh, in these games, and so much so that it's hard to really read any, anything into these matchups. But there's no doubt for Atlanta, it starts with Trey Young. The one game that he did play against the Bucs, Drew Holiday defended him, put him in jail, held him to three for 17 shooting from the field. How do you anticipate the Bucs handling Trey Young? Because it's, it is a one-on-one matchup. There's no doubt about that. But Trey Young just dealt with Ben Simmons, who for all the criticism, as we know, is an absolute elite perimeter defender so he's been dealing with size we know drew holiday is going to have the physical size matchup but it never really stops trey young getting downhill getting to those floaters using clint capella as a lob threat and probably trying to leverage what the bucks are doing defensively particularly with brooke lopez in that drop coverage so where do you want to start with trey young yeah i mean we should all just sort of um i think we we're talking about with eric uh eric name earlier just that you know uh I am, I'm, I'm prepared. I think we're all prepared for, you know, there's going to be my, maybe it's game one, maybe it's game two, but at some point early in the series, Trey Young is going to hit a bunch of floaters and there's going to be a whole bunch of like Bucks Twitter uh, fans that are going to be like beside themselves that the Bucks are playing their drop coverage against uh, the Hawks. And I think what's, you know, interesting about the Hawks with, with, um, with Brooklyn the drop coverage was challenging because Kevin Durant would get downhill and just be able to uh, pull up for those mid-range jump shots that you know he can get off pretty much against anyone. But you know, especially a retreating Brook Lopez, it's just it's just hard for him to to really challenge those. Um, at times, he got there were there were a handful of times where he got to the rim on those, but for the most part, 
you know, he was really pulling up short and, and just taking kind of those mid range shots that obviously he's lethal from, uh, against, against the, the, the Hawks. It's a little bit different in the sense that Trey is, is going to that floater. I think he was around 47%, um, in kind of non, uh, non-restricted area paint shots this year, which is very, very good. But again, 47% on, on a two point shot, you know, from a expected value, that's less than a point per shot expected. So obviously that's, you know, it's not like lights out or anything like that. Um, but it's not just about him getting to his floaters, but he's able to kind of really freeze the defense. And, and so you'll see a lot of times like the defender's really stuck because not only do you have to worry about Trey putting up that floater, but he's got Clint Capella, who's, you know, one of the best at rolling to the rim and catching lobs and Trey's very good at, you know, sort of disguising whether he's going to shoot that floater or, or throw up a lob to the side of the rim for, for Capella to put down. Um, and I, I think back to um, a game a couple years ago in Houston when Capella was still in uh, with the Rockets playing with Harden and Brooke had one of the more amazing performances that he's had where he was essentially, you know, dropping back and defending not only Harden attacking mm-hmm. the paint, but also being able to, to defend against, those those dump offs to Capella and I thought I, I still remember that just being I think that was the game when Giannis didn't have a huge night but I think he ended up having like 27 and 20 rebounds or something like that and they won in Houston um I, I don't that might have been the game where he launched the ball off of Harden's head I, <laughs> um I, I think that might have been that, that same game but it's a classic um so so yeah I mean it uh that is is I'd say the the you know most obvious sort of play action type type thing to look mm-hmm. out for and you know rewatching the game against Brooklyn it was interesting to see uh, in some of the Harden led pick and rolls um you know Brooke was much higher up on the floor than you normally think of Brooke Brooke defending right you think of Brooke standing like way back in the paint on those high pick and rolls and he was coming out to really like not not necessarily like the level of the screen but very, very close to it. And of course, different reasons for doing that, right? It, it may be because you're, you don't want to let the, the guard get really ahead of steam going to the basket, but it's also d- driven by the fact that you're afraid about of the, the roller being a pick and pop threat, which we saw Blake do very successfully uh, at times in that net series. Obviously Capella is not a, not a pick and pop threat. So my expectation is that Brooke will at least start by, by sitting much further back, um, in the paint than, than we saw, you know, at times, uh, against the nets, you know, certainly he did that more against Bruce Brown, who he was not afraid of, of popping back to the three point line. Um, so I think that's probably the most classic sort of, uh, cat and mouse aspect of, of what we will see. Um, you know, I know we've talked a fair bit and we were chatting with, with our, our bucks Twitter friends today about lineups and, you know, is Bud going to stick with, with PJ in the starting five? Does he go to, for instance, Pat Connaughton, who, you know, kind of makes more sense in sort of a, a typical lineup probably just because he's more of that above the break three type threat and is a smaller defender versus PJ, who, you know, ironically, PJ sort of made his money the past couple of years as a small ball five, switchable small ball five, which he played very differently from, obviously, in that in that net series for the most part. We saw a little bit of small ball from the Bucks, but, um, you know, aside from really fourth quarter game six, you know, with Bruce Brown on the floor so much, you know, it was, a, it was a Brooke Lopez series where PJ was generally not having to defend the the nominal center on the floor. So um, I think a lot probably depends on, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with that starting five. Um, I think, I think the big, big question to me is, you know, does that zone drop the ability to exploit that? And it's not just Trey, obviously Bogdanovich can, can run pick and roll. Um, you know, they, Lou Williams can run pick and roll. Um, it's not just Trey, but he's going to be the principal guy that we're going to look out for. And so I think one obvious question is, you know, can, can they, um, bait Trey into taking shots from a little bit further out and rush him a little bit more, get those rear contests from Drew Holiday to bother him? You know, can you, can the Bucks avoid fouling him where he does that thing where he just like stops and lets the guy mow him over? Um, and, and can they just make that, that a little bit difficult? Because in the one game that we saw Trey play against the Bucs, I mean, he just missed everything from that range, and that was not representative of the kind of player he is. So we, we Bucks fans may have been lulled into thinking Trey is way worse than he actually is on those shots, but he's actually very good at it. Um, and interestingly, I mean, 
for all the talk about Trey Young having this monster playoffs, I mean, he's only shooting 41% from the field and 33% from three in the playoffs. He was only a 34% three-point shooter during the regular season, and he actually cut down his three-point attempts dramatically from last year when he shot 36% from three. So, you know, Trey is a very, I would say he's a very dangerous and streaky three-point shooter who can shoot it from way above the break. Um, but, you know, over a large sample, you don't expect him to to shoot 45% or something like that. Um, but again, he's capable of that, right? And you just sort of have to hope that he's at sort of his averages. I think if, if the Hawks shoot like they do in this series, as they have in the rest of the playoffs, they've, they've only been at 33%. The Bucks and Hawks are the two worst three-point shooting teams that are left, ironically. Um, so for all the make-or-miss league stuff, surprisingly not 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 something that the that either of these teams have you know really been been caught um too badly on they've been able to survive even without really their their best shooting so um so yeah i, th- I think it's gonna be really interesting to see kind of that that starting five decision i think it's gonna be interesting to see how much the bucks are tempted to play small because they could always if trey's causing them all sorts of problems they could always go to that switching uh five five man unit with with pj and, and pat being the the two guys in addition to Giannis, chris drew um but I think, I think you would probably agree, but is, is probably going to be not itching to go to that. Um, and I'm very curious to see, you know, I, I, I can already predict uh, at some point in the series, there's going to be an uproar about him not leaning into that type of lineup quickly enough because Trey Young is causing problems with lobs and, and floaters and otherwise exploiting um, the Bucks drop, drop pick and roll coverage. Yeah, I mean, I can already see the tweets and it's going to be three-point Tweets and also the drop coverage, uh, for sure. I mean, because this is how Atlanta is going to win this series, Frank. I, I really believe that. It's going to be Trey Young going off and just a great offensive player. We should acknowledge that, first of all. I mean, you talk about some of those shots that, yes, he missed in that game when he was 3 for 17. But generally, for 99% of the players in the league, are brutally hard shots and really, really difficult, which is why it's, a, it's an effective defensive strategy against Trey Young. He makes you change your mind a little bit about what you're willing to give up or what you're willing to let him have. So I think that there's going to be a little bit of cat and mouse there. But I think for Milwaukee, coming off a series, I, I don't think that there could be a better uh, illustration of, okay, Trey Young is probably going to get his I don't know what the upper limit is. We saw Kevin Durant get 49 and 48 in a game and the Bucks were still right there. But do not let the role players get off the chain, Frank. And the question mark is going to be with a guy like Kevin Herter, who we just saw have 27 points in game seven, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who we saw go six for 11 in that win against the Bucks uh, earlier in the regular season. These are the guys that the Bucks are going to have to be also careful of, particularly with their ability to shoot uh, from three, but also both guys as I wouldn't call them elite ball handlers by any stretch, but they do have an ability to work around screens with triple handoffs, pick and roll scenarios and where they can get into the paint. And the problem that we saw with the Bucks in the regular season game was just repeated over help, which if it's Bogdan Bogdanovich or Kevin Herter getting into the paint, don't overhelp, okay? Stay at home. Let them force up a difficult mid-range shot because the only reason that Kevin Herter had 27 points in that game seven was because Philadelphia desperately needed Seth Curry out on the floor and he just got abused by the bigger uh, Kevin Herter there. That's not going to happen against the Bucs. They're going to have the size. They just have to be disciplined, not overhelp because that's going to be the strategy for the Hawks. Dribble penetration, kick out to the shooters, ball swing, look for open threes and they're going to hope that they knock those down that has been a weakness before for the bucks we know that but these guys are dangerous there's one thing that the hawks do have they've got shooters yeah and kind of like the bucks they have not really actually shot Mm -hmm. it very well at all in the playoffs and so i think to me that's one of the obvious questions here in this series is just you know if one of these teams (laughs) yeah if one of these teams just shoots significantly better better than the other that that is the way that that you know either Atlanta can can surprise people that you know again most people expecting the Bucks should be favorites to win the series or you know that's that's the route for the Bucks to to maybe have a, a you know a more um, impressive showing this round than they did last round but I, I don't know I mean the Bucks didn't shoot well against Miami either right so on some level you kind of worry is there something endemic happening here and I think that leads a little bit into the discussion of rotations because well. Who have the Bucks not been playing? I mean, is it the Bucks just missing shots? Yes, that's certainly part of it because you look at, I was quoting some of the wide open shooting numbers um, in the last series and 
I think they ended up right around like 30% on wide open threes. Um, and they were at 25% going into game seven and then hit nine out of 19 in game seven, which was long overdue, but also very timely that that would happen then. Uh, Brooklyn was only three out of 15 in game seven after shooting 41% from on wide open threes before that. Um, and the good news is the Bucks. I think were I think they led the, I think they were second behind only the Clippers in terms of open threes generated um, in among second round playoff teams. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you make your open threes goes a long way to obviously not only we're just winning games, but also, you know, I think, you know, one of these things, right? Like I think a lot of the criticism of the Bucks offense probably goes away if the Bucks just make three pointers <laughs> at a normal clip because it was just very it was just so much more obvious. I mean the Bucks, you know, as we've been saying, Bucks haven't been a team that really like, you know, really hunts mitts matches all year. And I think that sort of thing becomes more important in the playoffs, certainly against a team like Atlanta, where you have Trey out there being an obvious target. Um, you know, it, it it will be more important that they at least put him somewhere near the actions or, you know, uh, for instance, if a guy like PJ is out there starting, they're going to put him on PJ. PJ has got to go crash the offensive boards and use his physicality at least that way. If not, you know, because he's, you know, he's obviously not going to go and, and post Trey Young up. That's, that's not how the bucks are going to run their offense, but, um, but certainly the shooting is, is going to be really important. And I think again, for the bucks from the rotation side, well, Bryn Forbes basically, pretty much didn't play in that series. Bobby Portis didn't play at all in the last few games. Um, those guys obviously hit a lot of three-pointers at a very high clip for you during the regular season. So I think one interesting question is just, you know, can the Bucks figure out a way to, to get those guys some time on the floor? Because Atlanta, I think in game seven, played essentially nine guys, right? Um, you know, Herter was starting. Uh, I think Solomon Hill, uh, as well as... Um, uh, uh, Lou Williams and and Gallinari uh, were obvious guys that that got time off the bench, and then uh, Okongwu, who's uh, you know their lottery pick from this year, also saw minutes as as sort of the backup big man. So you know they played basically nine guys. Bogdanovich was was hurt for for part of that game, so that's maybe why those guys got a little bit longer run in terms of the wings. Um, but you know they played nine guys even in Game Seven versus the Bucks, basically playing you know six plus a few minutes of Bryn Forbes. So. I, you know, I think there's limits to how far you can stretch your stars. And I, I don't know, right? Like, can you play Chris and Drew and Giannis 42 minutes per night, but not 44? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there, there's just going to be trade-offs here as far as how effective they're going to be able to be late in games when they play just these massive minute loads, which, you know, players don't play these types of minute loads during the regular season. And I think it was encouraging, obviously, that they managed to to finish that game, and you know, some, those guys each had big plays late in the fourth quarter and overtime of the Nets series. But I would hundred percent expect to see, I don't know, probably eight guys in Game One um, for the Bucks, and I don't necessarily. I, I hope uh, Jeff Teague doesn't get a run out against his it's <laughs> his former team, uh, but I, I think certainly I'm sure Bud will will try to at least see if he can rework those guys back into the rotation and again i think just the way that the hawks operate you know it's they're not they're not necessarily a team that is going to hunt just kind of one-on-one isolation mismatches in the same way that obviously a nets team can do with with the likes of you know kd plus at various points during that series harden and and kyrie irving BetOnline.he time now here. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get the latest news for the NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL futures, UFC and MMA action. It's all there. So before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and you can check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams continue their playoff runs. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And then don't forget about our friends, our long-standing friends over at Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and then wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brands their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home, so why wouldn't you just use that? Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why spend 
even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find a solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. You can see all the parts available for your car or truck. Just write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. We mentioned the rotation stuff on the crossover episode, so I've sort of given my thoughts there. So I'm, I'm glad that you went to that because the one thing that I will say when you talk about the rotation and the minutes load that these guys have been under, I think we can safely assume that Bud will probably start this series by playing eight guys. Uh, I don't think Jeff Teague will be out there, but I would expect to see some Bobby. I would expect to see some Bryn Forbes. And then the longer the series goes, uh, this hasn't just been something this year. I mean, Frank, you always referenced the series against Toronto where he basically gave up on everyone outside of the starters in that series there and really cut down the rotation as well for that game six that was in Toronto. So this is kind of what he does, but I'll be curious to see whether there's any... Uh, perhaps willingness from him to to make the first move and not wait until you know hopefully it doesn't get there but a disastrous situation where the season feels like it's on the line you mentioned offensive rebounds earlier now this is at least a little bit interesting the Hawks with Clint Capella and also John Collins major threats for putbacks we see these guys all the time They'll crash the offensive glass. They'll, the, the Hawks will shoot a lot of threes and they will uh, hit the offensive glass. It's just a bit of a contrast to what we saw against the Brooklyn Nets because they weren't really all that. I mean, they got some long rebounds, no doubt. Bruce Brown was certainly critical in, in those areas, but they didn't have the big guys that felt like they were really crushing the glass because they were generally playing pretty small. Like they didn't have DeAndre Jordan out there or Claxton, the big guys that you picture with those putback dunks. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how this battle goes because the Bucks will play big it's funny again that Milwaukee get a series here where Brooke Lopez is extremely playable as you referenced at the start of the podcast here but I, I spoke about it in game six and game seven the Bucks went back to using that size to their advantage on the offensive glass using Brooke Lopez for the Bucks offensively outside of the shooting which was pretty disastrous against Brooklyn but it also was against Miami the Bucks as a team at 31 percent from three in the postseason, 31. It's unbelievable. You hope that it starts to turn around. Against Brooklyn, you only got six threes from Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis. But for the Bucks offensively, when you do look at a guy like Brooke Lopez, who we saw came back into the game as an important within the perimeter guy late in that series, how do you see that they can utilize him against this Atlanta team that is across the board bigger they're going to play bigger with Capella Collins Gallinari will play some minutes there at the three as well yeah I I mean I think the Brooks storyline he had small guys on him you know most of that Brooklyn series and the Bucks really didn't take advantage other than maybe game Mm -hmm. one and game seven and I think there may be some moments was it game six where there was a couple odd moments yeah yeah um so the Bucks did not really look to to play through Brooke at all, um, you know, with especially because they had their top three guys out on the floor most of the game. So there just wasn't, you know, pretty much everything was flowing through them, which is understandable. Um, I, I think the you know interesting wrinkle is that I would expect, and I'm not sure if Brad echoed this, but we saw it uh, a bit during the regular season that Capella um, defended Giannis uh, to start. I think uh, at least the games I, I recall where Capella and, and Giannis both played. Uh, Capella was was sort of taking the Giannis responsibility um, initially, and in some of those games as well, we saw Solomon Hill, who started early in uh, the Philly series and then got moved to the bench for Herder. He also, obviously, I mean, going back to his Indiana days, he's played uh, defended Giannis a, a lot. He's you know more of small forward size, kind of small ball five size, or sorry, small small ball four size, um, but uh, has been able to do that. And you know, people may recall he hit a just stupid number of threes against the Bucks uh, in Atlanta in one of the games that the, the game that the Bucks lost. So, you know, fully embracing that Jay Crowder slash Jeff Green uh, standing around waiting for Giannis to wander off him and then hit open threes uh, at, you know, better than he's ever has in his, in his life rates, which just seems to happen, I guess, against the Bucks. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I think from a, a size perspective is interesting because, 
Brooke may very well still have a very small guy on him, um, which, you know, again, I'm not expecting that suddenly the Bucks are going to play through Brooke Lopez in the post. Uh, but it could be something where, you know, if he, if they are trying to, to crash the offensive boards at all, um, you know, Brooke will have a smaller guy on obviously PJ, if he's starting and Trey is guarding him, he's going to have a tiny person on him. Um, so there could be an opportunity there, but by the same token, Atlanta is going to be way more capable of pushing the ball in transition with Trey than the Nets were these last few games where Harden, you know, literally couldn't sprint. Um, and so you were benefiting from the Bucks perspective and that you could be a little more aggressive on the offensive glass because of, you know, just the limitations that, that the Nets had, whereas that's not going to be the case for, for Atlanta. So yeah, it'll be interesting kind of like how, whether the Bucks, how they kind of lean in or don't lean into that at all. Um, and, and here's the thing too. I mean, you know, look, when it comes to three point shooting, you know, as I mentioned, if you're not playing Bobby or Bryn Forbes, you know, who both shot the lights out in terms of three point percentage this year, of course, that's, you know, you're not probably going to shoot as well from three point range as you did during the regular season. And additionally, I mean, PJ had, um, a couple of very good shooting games. I think games four and seven, uh, he had, I want to say three threes in each of those games. Um, but for the most part, obviously PJ is not like a dynamic shot maker. He can, you know, every other night he, he can knock down his kind of preferred corner three. But, uh, in terms of, you know, really stretching teams defensively, you know, when you put PJ in there, um, you are making an implicit trade-off that you're going to basically be better defensively and you're going to hurt yourself a little bit offensively. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the rotations again are just interesting because, um, you know, we can, we can sit here and act like, well, why aren't the bucks averaging as many, you know, points per 100 possessions in the playoffs as they did during the regular season? I was like, well, first off it's playoff basketball and B, uh, you know, just look at your personnel and you're just focusing on different things. Guys are tired because they're playing really heavy minute loads. That's also probably contributing to guys not shooting as well because their legs are tired, right? Like you're probably just not going to shoot from three as well if you're playing, you know, 10 more minutes per game than you're used to. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very curious to see that game one just to see how the Bucks come out with their starting five. I think it's interesting that both teams at this start stage of the playoffs have one position that, you know, they've, they've tinkered with in terms of the starters. And, you know, I think at this point you'd expect Herter after his awesome game seven, will stick at, you know, the, the starting three spot uh, for Atlanta. And I, I'd, I'd guess, you know, you'd assume that that PJ at this point probably sticks in the starting five for the Bucks as well, which, you know, we were kind of joking about, um, you know, now that PJ had to guard Kevin Durant for seven games, I mean, that's a pretty good warm up for pretty much anything <laughs> that might come after that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Herter's had a really good postseason. I mean, I really like Kevin Herter. For the record, I did draft Kevin Herter in the uh, whatever it was, 2017 locked on NBA mock draft. So if anybody likes Kevin Herter, I, I, I did too um, when I put on my little fake GM hat. But, um, but he's been really good. There, there's kind of like a little bit of – I always thought there was a little bit of Middleton in his game just in terms of his size, shot-making ability – um, kind of underrated as a playmaker. Um, so he's going to be, I think, kind of interesting to watch. And, um, you know, in terms of guarding Kevin's, Durant is uh, a little bit better than Herter. No disrespect to, to Kevin Herter. Um, but I, I would be interesting. I mean, as far as if, if they do start PJ, and I know you, I think you probably talked about this, with Brad, but um, in terms of matchups, I think my assumption would be uh, obviously Juron Trey. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, Giannis on, on John Collins, which is interesting because Collins is a, a pretty accurate three-point shooter, but he doesn't shoot tons of threes. Obviously, he likes to use his athleticism around the basket. Um, Brooke, obviously, on Capella, since Capella is not a threat to, to shoot. Um, and then, you know, by process of elimination, I, I would imagine you'd probably put PJ on Kevin Herter and, and Chris on, on Bogdanovich, although you could easily flip those and, you know, just see who you want to be more of a pain in the ass to you know, physically with, uh, with PJ. Um, and I think the interesting thing there is just, there really isn't anybody there when you flip the script, we talked about Trey, but you know, if they're not starting Hill, Bogdanovich is, is, you know, he can be feisty defensively, but you know, is Bogdanovich going to give Chris Middleton the kind of problems that, um, that Bruce Brown did at times in that net series? 
is he going to really be able to like focus all his energy to, to try to slow down Chris Middleton? No. Uh, and Herder similarly, I think probably a little maybe underrated. Um, you know, you see a guy as, as you see a red haired, super pale guy, you probably don't think defensive stopper, but he's, <laughs> he's better than probably his, uh, he looks. Um, but similarly, you know, Herter is, is more of an offensive guy. And I, I think it's obviously an opportunity for Chris Middleton to, hopefully get to his spots and, and hopefully be, you know, a more consistent factor than he was in that net series where, you know, especially when Brown was on him and especially when he was playing on the road, it was just very hard for him at times to get on track. Oh, I think it's a great point that you make in terms of some of the names here. And, and that's why I don't necessarily, or, or I'm not necessarily surprised that there seems to be a rising level of confidence among Bucks fans that seem to think that it's a bit of a mismatch and, and, Ultimately, maybe it will end up being. I'm not sure. We're going to see how this series goes. But I just wouldn't underestimate this team. But it's easy to do so when you come off a series where you just watch Kevin Friggin Durant and, and, and some of the, some, honestly, you know, someone like a Bruce Brown who made life difficult, difficult for Chris Milton. Now you come up against the Hawks who you may not have seen a lot of these guys, but they are, they are super talented. And as we've sort of said, they don't really seem to care at all about the moment. And this is a free hit for them. I mean, they come into the conference finals and, and they may have hopes that they got here, but this is an incredible run for those guys. So uh, look, they're going to be playing pretty free in game one or two and trying to steal one of these at Fireserve Forum. So I do think that the pressure is going to be on the box, but ultimately it's going to be a fun series. And, you know, I, I, I wonder about Clint Capella, Frank, I know I've been slandering James Harden a lot on this podcast lately, but it's really hard not to. But think about Clint Capella playing with James Harden for all those years, and now he comes to Atlanta and Trey Young, two of the biggest grifters in the league in terms of drawing <laughs> foul calls, which I, I'll, I'll note this, and, and Trey Young's a genius, uh, uh, so much more likable than James Harden. It's not even close. Let me put that on the record if there's any Hawks fans listening to this podcast. But... In terms of frustration levels for trying to defend a guy that is just going to do whatever it takes to get every foul call, um, you know, be prepared. There's probably going to be some frustration that we saw late in the series there when James Harden returned. Yeah, and it's a different, it's a little different kind of frustration because with with you know Harden, he's this extremely strong guy <laughs> who you know is really savvy at at um, you know using his brain to throw his arms into guys and do that with, with Trey, he's, he's so small that it's kind of like more, it's, it's frustrating in a different way because, you know, he's obviously, he can't physically overpower people. And, you know, he's always been like that. Like you have to give him a lot of credit. I mean, he's had to deliver, he's had to become a very tough guy because he's never been big. He's never been able to just out muscle people or, you know, use his enormous rear end like James Harden can, can do. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he, you know, he, he's going to play for fouls because at times, um, you know, he knows that's that's kind of his only option. And we saw that that him do that against Philly, like where, you know, he got Tybal on on, Tybal on, a, on a couple of like just terrible um, three-point uh, fouls late in games where he just, you know, pump faked and, and got a guy to jump in the air. So I'm, I'm really curious to see. It's going to be obviously a really st- stiff test for Drew to, to be disciplined and know kind of when to stay down and and not to, you know, kind of fall for that stuff. And especially kind of coming out when, when you're going over screens, um, you know, when you're trailing him and he's got you in his rear view and he just throws on the brakes, that's just a way that, that he's consistently been able to get fouls on, on guys. And so, you know, again, there's, there's counters to that and just in the sense that if you, for instance, were to go switching, then, well, then you're kind of tra- keeping him in front of you more, at least in the pick and roll. But, He's also super quick, you know, and, and so I, I am curious if, if you do go to a switching type of uh, approach, you know, uh, what's he going to look like one-on-one if, if he gets Giannis switched onto him, if he gets PJ switched onto him, you know, can those guys keep him honest enough um, in, in switch situations as well? Or is he going to be able to get into the pain and, you know, maybe not score, you know, get layups or something like that, but, but can he get to his floater spots and, or can he just create enough chaos that, you know, as you were alluding to, that the Bucks end up overhelping and that it ends up creating open looks for other guys and, and you know, you create three-point opportunities. So, um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, as much as kind of people are going to trivialize, I mean, you know, all these series have their own, have their own kind of interesting characters to them. I think 
for Atlanta, I mean, I think Philly was a great test for them because I mean, Philly and just in terms of having like super big wing defenders between Simmons and Thibel, you know, Trey Young has seen about as, as big and scary of defenders as he's going to see. And, you know, I think the numbers show he, he hasn't been very efficient in terms of scoring, you know, especially in, in that second round series. Um, but it's certainly been good practice getting him used to, mm-hmm. you know, that, that playoff basketball that obviously a lot of people questioned, you know, how, he, how he'd react to it. So, um, so it definitely is going to be pressure on Drew. You, you hope that his kind of size, the fact that he's obviously much bigger than, than Trey, but, but, you know, I think in terms of just navigating screens and playing like, you know, a small guy, he's probably a little bit better suited to do that perhaps than, than Simmons and, and Thibel who are obviously bigger players, but I mean, we'll see, you know, I think, I think if you told me that, Hey, you could get Trey Young's stats from the Philly series and he'd, he'd do that again. Um, I think you'd have to take that because even though he had some big games, he also had a lot of you know struggles putting the ball in the hole, and you know ultimately, um, if if you knew that Trey Young was going to shoot, you know forty one percent from the field and thirty three percent from three, you know I think you'd probably feel pretty good about the Bucks' chances, right? Because it feels like the Bucks' margin for error is is higher just in terms of if they're not shooting well, they can just do a little bit more, obviously inside than than probably uh, Atlanta can. Although obviously with with Capella and and Collins, they they do have guys that that can cause problems around the basket as well. So they're an interesting team. They just have a lot of guys, right? And and for the Bucks, that's obviously going to be a different sort of challenge versus you know <laughs> worrying about one guy who's liable to put fifty on you every night. Um, again, as explosive as Trey is, that's the 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 uh, Nets just aren't kind of built the same way, and um, it's it's just a different type of challenge. But again, you hope maybe that the the Hawks nerves. Um, and, and their youth kind of starts to maybe play against them, but damn, I mean, I guess coming back to, I mean, they went into Philly three times, <laughs> we're just not scared of, of the Sixers at all, even with all their physical advantages. And, um, so I think you, you have to, you have to respect them and you can't, you know, again, I don't think the Bucks are going to overlook them, but, um, you have to play with that same intensity and urgency that we saw against the Nets, especially in those last um, five games, right? I think if you do that, you feel pretty good about yourself defensively, but, um, certainly this is just a, a, a different type of opponent. And, um, you know, I guess the, the upside is an opportunity to, for the Bucks to, to, to look a little bit better overall than they did certainly against the Nets where a lot of that series, um, you know, was, was kind of tough to watch and they obviously took a lot of, took a lot of shit for it. You can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And as we wrap this up, Frank, I think you've really led us in a pretty good direction there. I think when you come into a series like this where no matter how you feel about it, how much respect you think, the Bucks should get for their series over Brooklyn. We've spoken about it. I think the Game 7 win in particular and really just the mental fortitude to come back from 2-0 down, from 3-2 down and win that series on the road deserves all the credit in the world. But no one can deny that the Bucks got a little bit of luck along the way. And all year long, we thought that the Bucks were going to play the Sixers. I'm now convinced that that series is never, ever, ever going to happen. The Bucks and the Sixers just are not going to play each other in the postseason. Now you get the Hawks, who were a five seed. All of a sudden, you have home court advantage. The one thing you don't want to do, particularly a team like this Atlanta team that's proven that they believe in themselves on the road, don't give them a chance, win the first couple of games, try and dent that confidence, and then go on from it from there. So the Bucs have got the challenge in front of them. I'm really excited. I'm just so pumped that we've got more basketball games to watch and talk about, Frank. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I can't wait. How, how I, I've been sorry. I've not been intentionally avoiding it, but um, I really have not talked much about the Bogdan Bogdanovich <laughs> storyline, um, which, to be honest, I, I mean, the idea that, that this is like a revenge series, is, I think we've talked about this in the past, is just kind of strange because, like, yeah. What is what is there to take revenge upon the Bucks for? Um, <laughs> if you're poked on, but um, but I, you know he he has not actually shot the ball very well in the playoffs. He has been battling some right knee soreness the last couple of games. So I, I don't know if that's a good sign or bad sign um, that he didn't have a good, really a good series against the Hawks in particular. Uh, but we know that he's obviously a guy that can be a dynamic shooter and and 
you know, initiator, secondary initiator for the Hawks. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely in a weird way. It's like, he's the guy I'm most nervous about just cause if, if he has a really good series and if he, you know, contributes to like winning games, then the narrative is going to be super annoying about him. And it's going, we're just going to have to hear, you know, over and over again, about like, Oh, well, you can only imagine if he was on the bucks. Right. Um, so part of me is just like expecting the worst and that he'll have a really good series just because of it, it would just be perfectly, you know, annoying for that to happen. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if you had any other kind of thoughts on it. And again, he's a very good player worthy of some discussion, regardless of, you know, um, the weird subplot there from the summer or the fall. Uh, but I don't know if there's anything else that, that kind of jumps out at you. I mean, you know, part of me is just like, Oh man, just put PJ Tucker on him and just, tell PJ to just make his life suck or something because <laughs> if he has a huge series, it's, it, it could be pretty insufferable from a narrative standpoint. Well, I messaged you guys. I think it was halfway through the fourth quarter of the Philadelphia Atlanta game. And I was just watching Tobias Harris out there on the floor. And I just had a feeling that Philadelphia would somehow find a way to stumble over the line and win at home because it's just generally what you sort of get used to seeing in a game seven that is a bit of a struggle like that. And I said, PJ Tucker might legitimately make Tobias Harris cry in the middle of the floor during a postseason game next series. He's just come off defending Kevin Durant and now he's going to go to Tobias Harris. So look, yeah, I mean, you you said it. We've spoken about this. I think the Bogdan Bogdanovich and Dante DiVincenzo comparisons were always hilariously off base because again, we've said it. But the Bucks tried to trade Dante for Bogdan. I mean, he's a fantastic player. I mean, he's a really good player, good shooter, big moment player. He's played in big games throughout his career in Europe. We've seen it in the first round against the Knicks. He hit a series of, of big shots as well. I mean, this guy's just a baller. So, look, I, I again, you're right. He's got no reason to have revenge against the Bucks, but just purely from the pain of listening to people talk about it, I hope he doesn't go off from the Bucks' point of view because, yeah, that would be tough to listen to. But... It is a little bit of a shame that Dante is not going to be out there as well. That would be a nice little story or a twist in the story of Dante had a couple of big games in this series here as well. I would feel really happy for him if he was able to do that. And look, he's been a loss. We've spoken about it, Frank. He's been a loss for this team. They certainly missed him against the Nets and some of the unrecordable stuff that he brings to the table. But it's not just Bogdanovich. It's Mike Budenholzer. The Hawks in the conference finals for the first time since... Bud was there. I know our friend Dan Schaefer, who was on the podcast last week, uh, brought up the Jeff Teague offer sheet uh, that the Bucks gave to Jeff Teague. And, and this is off the top of my head. You probably know this. I, I think it was like uh, four years, 32 or something like that, which yeah. sounds, sounds it like... It was that. It was, yeah. It was, I mean, it, it sounds like exactly. such a, a humorous contract now to think about. Four years, 32 is so minuscule in, in the grand scheme of things. But that would have changed the course of the Bucks. And the other one I brought up on Twitter... Uh, and the reason I did this is because everyone knows I love the No Dunks uh, podcast, listen to it most days uh, with my fellow Aussie, Lee Alice, starring the show over there. And uh, they said that the Hawks had never won a game seven. And I said, well, hang on a second. I remember them winning a game seven. It was extremely painful back in 2010 when my guy, my Aussie friend in the box, Andrew Bogut, went down with the arm and Brandon Jennings was leading the box. They lost in game seven there. And uh, so, look, there's, there's, there's a few links here, it's fair to say, with these two teams. Uh, for one of the more unpredictable conference finals matchups that we've got, some interesting storylines attached. Yeah, I actually, uh, I remember, um, you know, like, like kind of bringing, bringing those back up. I mean, I remember the 2010 playoffs because I was in my second year in business school and I flew back home for a long weekend where I saw both games three and four, mm-hmm. um, which was great. Cause I came back and the bucks won games three and four and it was super fun and the crowds were awesome. And, you know, it was a weird, it was a weird, it was, it was weird in the context of like, you know, you had just gone through seeing Bogut just, you know, have his career derailed. And obviously at the time we were hoping that, oh, okay, he'll be back next, next fall and hopefully be okay. But, um, but obviously you knew that the, the ceiling of that team was capped, but it, it, you know, they were still pretty, pretty frisky and close to, to stealing a first round series, which at the time, you know, how long ago it seems winning a first round playoff series was, <laughs> right, was like, right. you know, like the biggest possible, you know, goal to have 
for the bucks each year. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of funny to look at that way. And, you know, the, the Dan's mention of, of the Teague offer sheet. I, I remember exactly where I was when that news broke. I was at a, uh, I was in California. I was at a hotel, um, in, uh, uh, Poway, which is I think near San Diego, California, visiting a supplier for my, my company at the time. And uh, I remember seeing that. I remember being excited because I thought, well, I like Jeff Teague more than Brandon Jennings. So cool. <laughs> Hopefully they don't match, you know, but as, uh, as, uh, Dan pointed out, you know, that's one of those classic sliding door moves. Danny Ferry went back and forth, back and forth until like the last minute, basically. And then they ended up opting to, uh, to match the offer sheet almost like begrudgingly. And, uh, if, if they hadn't, you know, bucks probably were, I, I would imagine bucks were sending their offer sheet to Brandon Jennings and, um, you don't have the Chris Middleton trade, which obviously set in motion, um, kind of where we are here today. So definitely a, uh, a funny thing. It's it's interesting. It's, I'm, I'm curious what, what, you know, what Chris Middleton's career arc actually looks like yeah. if he doesn't end up on the bucks. Right. I mean, not that the Pistons were, you know, this wasn't the 2004 Pistons he was on or anything like that, but, um, you know, he obviously came into Milwaukee and immediately had a, a great opportunity on a very bad team to play a lot of minutes. And that obviously set in motion, you know, his, his kind of accelerated uh, development as a player. So it is kind of funny to, to wonder, you know, what, what happens if he's just still in Detroit, a second round pick who really didn't play much at all uh, in his rookie year, you know, I imagine he eventually becomes a pretty good player, but you know, uh, a two-time all-star, you know I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of funny just to think how, how, how quickly and how easily the world can be different. Right. I think that many were pointing out on the national podcast. We're not that fun to listen to today. If you're, if you're a Bucks fan, a, the fact that the Bucks game was on Saturday and like a million things happened since then, they're just, it was not the, the top of the list for things that people talk about. And then there were definitely a number of, you know, number of versions of the, well, if Kevin Durant just wore a smaller shoe, the Bucks would have lost. Right. It's like, Okay, well, you know, he he doesn't, and you know, if James Harden doesn't randomly throw in that garbage three, or Bruce Brown gets called for that garbage, uh, you know, uh, offensive foul to start overtime that he scored on. I mean, there's so many ways we can kind of deconstruct this, but I think it is I think it is very valid to say the margin between winning and losing is often very very narrow, right? Whether it's games or series, and um, I, I certainly hope that for for all of our sanity that this this Hawks Bucks series is is a more comfortable one for the Bucks. But look, you know, do I trust the Bucks to to make this easy on us? Well, I'm not I'm not quite there yet, right? I, I'd like to think the Bucks will win this series, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm I will definitely enter Game One with a little bit of anxiety just to you know to see how they how they kind of come out. Of course, and uh, I will say this. I haven't really spoken about this a lot. I mean, you probably know, Frank, because we've probably spoken about it over the course of whatever, the last year or whatever. But earlier last year after I turned back to Australia, and you can draw, draw your own conclusions what it was, I'm not sure, but I had some some hard stuff going on. And so I did a, a, a bunch of testing on my heart over a couple of months. And ultimately, around the middle of last year, they got to the point where they said, look, we think you're okay. It's probably just going to get better over time. Um, I, I did have an appointment coming up here soon, but I think I'm just going to cancel it. I'm just going to call them and say, listen, I watched game seven the other day. Trust me, everything's totally fine. I'm still here and everything's good. So, uh, you know, probably saved myself some money and uh, confirmation that uh, the old ticker is is feeling pretty good. So not only did the Bucks win game seven, but um, it was a nice vote of confidence for my health as well, which was uh, which was nice to get through. And I'm sure a, a lot of Bucks fans out there can relate to that. Uh, any final, final thoughts here, Frank, or should we call it and get ready for game one? I'd say let's call it for game one. Um, you know, we, we think we've got a beat on the series and then game one will probably throw us a bunch of different curveballs and we'll have to completely rethink things. Well, maybe not completely, <laughs> but I, I'm sure we'll see things that we didn't necessarily expect. But but obviously, hopefully the Bucks put put behind them some of the um, maybe not so enjoyable things we saw last series and hopefully come out this um you know like i said every every series has its own character and you know whether it's players or or teams you know the way they look the matchups etc can dictate sometimes looking way worse in the one series versus versus the next and at the end of the day it's just survive in advance right just 
<laughs> Bucks Bucks survive. They've advanced, and um, hopefully they they survive a little more cleanly this round. But um, you know, it's it's not supposed to get easier uh, the longer you go in the playoffs. And um, so we'll, all we can do is watch the games and and see what happens. Hopefully, have some fun. Seven thirty p.m. Wednesday night at Fiserv Forum. Again, I'm just going to keep saying it. I can't believe Game One is in Milwaukee, but it is. The Bucks have home court for this series. Uh, like I said, bunch of podcasts on the feed. So just make sure you go back, check them all out. There's some there's some great stuff in the lead up to Game One here, which uh, we're all looking forward to. So uh, in the meantime. Keep up with your Locked On Bucks. Like I said on the crossover episode with Brad Rowland, keep up with your Locked On Hawks as well to get a little bit more insight because it is one of these strange matchups where it feels like you learnt nothing from the regular season playing this team and it's also just genuinely not a team you probably expected to meet at this point of the postseason. But uh, as I said, we'll keep rolling into game one here. Impatiently wait for the tip-off. And you know that you can get all your Bucks news here at Locked on Bucks. So uh, stay safe. Enjoy the week. We'll catch you guys next time.